Hello from the sunny beaches of St. Kitts and Nevis. Welcome to Dextrocardia, your one-stop shop podcast for everything related to life as a Caribbean medical student. I'm your host, Nihal Satyadev, a second-year medical student at the University of Medicine and Health Sciences. Disclaimer, the opinions expressed by guests of this podcast do not reflect the opinions or views of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dextrocardia. Today, we have the pleasure to speak to Dr. Kristen Miller. She graduated from the University of Cincinnati in 2008 with a bachelor's in chemistry. She was a member of the inaugural class of UMHS in May 2008. Dr. Miller played a huge role at UMHS, where she played a part in creating the bylaws and establishing the first SGA, and she was also the first secretary of the first UMHS SGA. She was the first UMHS student to do rotations in both Puerto Rico Ponce School of Medicine and with the University of Puerto Rico in San Juan. She then graduated in 2011. She completed her first two years of residency at the University of Cincinnati's Rural Family Medicine Residency and then graduated as chief resident from Florida State University's Family Medicine Residency in Fort Myers, Florida in 2015. She then became an attending physician in Oklahoma since 2015, where she served as vice chief of staff at her hospital. She was an NFL-sponsored team doctor and instructed dozens of students through their clinical rotations. She is currently a full-time family practice doctor, president of UMHS Alumni Association, a mom of two little girls, and she recently just opened a med spa. After all that, she now also has her own life coaching business. Wow, what a journey. Welcome, Dr. Miller. We're so happy to have you here today. I know we've said a lot already, but please tell us a little bit more about you and your journey. Yeah, um, I was in the very first class at our medical school, University of Medicine and Health Sciences in St. Kitts. Um, We started in 2008. I graduated in 2011. Um, I did my residency partly in Cincinnati um, in a rural family medicine residency and then transferred to Florida State University where I was the chief resident. Um, Graduated from there in 2015 and I have been an attending physician in Oklahoma um, for the last six years, still teaching students. Um, I don't do OB anymore, but I still do the rest of family practice. Um, I also have two businesses that I own. One is a med spa and the other one is a life coaching business. Um, so pretty busy, but in a good way. <laughs> wow. That, no, is, that is amazing. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey on how you chose family medicine. Yeah, that's a really good question. I was actually hoping you would ask that. Um, When I went into UMHS, um, I actually went to UMHS with a boyfriend that was um, at the school too. And I didn't know what I wanted to go into, but at the time, um, our dean or provost was um, Dr. Thurman, and he was um, a pediatric oncologist. And I just thought the world of him. So I thought I was going to become a pediatric oncologist. And then when I was in Maine, I went and did some oncology time. I don't know. It's not a rotation, but whatever we called that up there. And um, 
was really upset every day I left because I was just so sad about how hard that job is. <laughs> and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I'm in fifth semester and I don't know. So then I do my rotations. Um, I went to Ponce School of Medicine and um, my next door neighbor was um, Dr. Arturo Medina, who used to be the dean of the medical school there, kind of ironically. Um, and I spent a lot of time with him and he was a rural family practice doctor. And I asked him if I could job shadow him. And at this point, I had been discouraged by a lot of um, family and friends to not go into family medicine because they told me that it was underappreciated, underpaid, overworked, all those things. So I really hadn't even considered it. And then I went out um, to Dr. Medina's um, office in like the rural hills of Puerto Rico and he saw um, an OB patient. He did like a small surgery in his office. He was treating blood pressure and some of his patients were paying him with like avocados and chickens and homemade wine. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And um, he was absolutely needed in that community. But when we left, I said, this is really cool, but how do you pay your bills? <laughs> and he said, Kristen, if you practice good medicine, you will always have enough to feed your belly and feed your soul. And it was literally one of those aha moments where I was like, this is what I was supposed to do. And just kind of ran full speed ahead at that point with like, all right, family medicine is the mission. So it was a pretty interesting turnaround, but so thankful for him in that moment that just completely changed things for me. <laughs> wow. What he said is so deep, first of all. And second of all, something that I really grasped from what you said is how important mentorship too is in medicine. For me too, right now, I just had my first experience in preceptorship in Maine with Hemonk, a doctor in Hemonk. And right now that's kind of still what resonates with me, mainly because I thought he was awesome. And second, and that just makes such a big impression on what you want to do. So it's great that you had great mentors too, that you were able to find. And so right now, currently you're teaching as well. I have um, med students, nurse practitioner students um, that rotate with me. Um, and I've had UMHS students and basically um, just do the rotations in my office with me. And it's, it's amazing. I love having students. I remember that when I was going through the whole process and I was a student, um, I asked some of my preceptors why, why they would do that. Like, cause I felt like I was kind of in the way <laughs> and they said, it's just giving back to what was given to you. And I love that concept that there were so many people who contributed to me being the doctor I am today. And so I just want to give that back. And on top of that, there really is a huge benefit of having a student with you because it keeps you fresh and on your toes. And there's a lot of things we start to do automatically that we kind of forget why and maybe we haven't looked it up in a while and maybe things have changed and so it's really nice to have um, that relationship with a student and they can making sure they know that they're allowed to challenge me <laughs> and that I'm not going to get upset about it and I love that because it just keeps things fresh for me so it's a great um, you know win-win for both of us. That makes me feel a lot better because sometimes right now I'm in my clinical rotations and when I'm in the outpatient setting, I'm like, am I slowing them down? Because sometimes it's so fast paced. So that's encouraging for me to hear as well. And secondly, how do you find, I, that's really cool that you see UMHS students in their third year or fourth year. How do you find that we do in comparison to other students, either in the U.S., Canadian or other med, uh, Caribbean medical schools too? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I've kind of always thought that UMHS students stand out to me 
as um, the best problem solvers and they're very resourceful. Like um, they never blame anybody else or anything else. Um, they take ownership of their education and make it work for them. They don't wait for somebody else to deliver something to them. They don't wait for the answers to fall in their lap. They're self-starters. Um, we were joking when I was in school that you can tell the difference between a Caribbean med student and a U.S. student because if you're in a hospital and all the electricity goes out, we're the ones that keep working. <laughs> um, but it's true. It's like, you know, when I was in Puerto Rico and I was doing OB, um, we had a hurricane come through and the electricity went out and we were delivering babies in a hospital that had no backup generator. Like um, when the electricity went off and it was, you know, previously cold in the hospital. So all of the walls started turning wet with like condensation. You were like running down the hallway and slipping and we were delivering babies by flashlight. And I'm like, you know, at the time it seemed chaotic, but now it's like, okay, bring it. Like I've seen so many crazy things. I was in St. Kitts during hurricane Omar where we didn't have electricity on and off for four months. So it's like, all right, bring it. Like we learn how to be resourceful and nothing kind of, uh, you know, shocks us. Um, I think that um, we're very well prepared and we know how to find the answers. And so that's what I found um, from my students from UMHS that have rotated with me is that they take ownership. They don't make excuses for things. They're respectful. They're on time. Um, they don't let their pride get in the way of them being a good doctor. And I love that about Caribbean students. And that's one of the things I look for, even as I'm hiring people on, um, hiring people to work with me. Um, I'm a medical director. And um, I know that some people fear that having like Caribbean medical school on your CV could hurt you. But as a Caribbean medical graduate, when I am looking to hire somebody, I think that that goes above because I know you're going to be a hard worker. I know that you had to fight to prove yourself. So I know already what kind of caliber you're going to be. So to me, it's actually a step up when I see that. I'm like, oh, I know I can trust this person to work hard and to, you know, go the extra mile. So I definitely think it's a good thing um, to be a Caribbean medical student and specifically to come from UMHS. I think that's incredibly inspiring and incredibly motivating because a lot of us, uh, you know, do uh, believe that there might be some sort of stigma, but hearing that from you and hearing that other physicians recognize uh, the kind of challenges that are faced when you're coming out of the Caribbean medical school system and the kind of strengths that we take with it, that's, uh, I think that's incredibly motivating. And I think one thing which we're really excited to hear um, from you is how your experiences teaching and your experiences through your time as a physician motivated you to get involved with the Alumni Association and what are some of the things that the association is doing right now? Yeah, that's um, a great segue. So um, we actually just recently started the Alumni Association. It's been a work in progress for months, years that we've just been trying to gather the right people and the resources. Um, and so we just officially launched a few weeks ago and we have um, a portal. Um, and the best way to access that is if you go to the UMHS Facebook page, there's um, an alumni link that you can click and go to the portal and register yourself. Um, and if there's any trouble, you can contact IT. But right now we're pretty much just setting up a database of all of our alumni. Um, and our mission and our goal is really to 
come together with alumni and current students and be able to support our students. We all know how difficult it is sometimes to get rotations. And I'm standing here going, okay, you can rotate with me, but you don't know about me, right? So um, we're trying to set up a way just to kind of bridge that gap um, to be able to help support the current students to find um, opportunities. So eventually that's where we plan to take this, but for right now we just need to know who's out there, what are you doing, what are you up to these days? So building our database is the most important part right now. So it sounds like it's still very much in the early stages, but it sounds like there's some really important steps that are being taken. Could you also walk us through kind of the history a little bit of how it got started to begin with? Yeah, um, well, there might be some stuff I don't know, but um, I know that ever since I graduated from UMHS, um, I have remained really close with uh, Michelle Perez, um, and she always have, has had really great ideas of trying to link in alumni into different um, uh, different events that UMHS has. And a few years ago, they brought on um, a few alumni to come to an event in DC um, for pre-med students and to talk to them about our experiences. And during that time, we all just kept saying how great it was to meet other UMHS students that we didn't really know existed. Um, and I made some really good friendships and connections during that time. And so it's kind of like, the, the idea was sparked. I mean, in the background, UMHS has always had the intention of starting an alumni association, but that kind of helped Michelle hit the ground running, and she's been working a lot on this for a very long time, trying to gather the right people who had a passion for this kind of thing. And so for several months now, we had gone back and forth um, talking about um, the bylaws and all of the technical official things and going back through and rewriting the process and saying, you know, what do we want this to look like? What is our goal? Who do we want as a part of this? How can we be the most successful? And so it was lots of meetings and emails and back and forth and trying to select the right people. Um, so there's just a lot of that stuff going on. And then officially, you know, we have our, um, I'm the president, we have um, Holly and Igor, vice president and um, secretary and um, UMHS with with Warren and with Michelle, everybody is extremely helpful and supportive of our group. Um, so we just hit the ground running with that portal. Um, but there's, you know, a lot of the technical stuff in the background the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's uh, a quite a challenge to bring together an alumni association for the first time. You have people who have been, you know, out of school for a while who are fully engrossed in their everyday chaotic life as an attending or resident. So uh, props to you for coming this far. And um, I guess it'd be great for us to know a little bit about what are some of the things you envision the Alumni Association doing and how you envision the Alumni Association connecting with, uh, with students and vice versa. Yeah, um, and actually, um, I was the very first class at UMHS, the very first group that started the SGA. So we wrote the charter for SGA and, and established that whole thing years ago on the island. So, um, and I was also the very first student from UMHS to go to Puerto Rico. Um, so I'm not new to that process and I have such a passion for being a trailblazer. 
Um, and I've lost touch with a lot of my friends from UMHS, but I do still have contact with a lot of them. And it's really inspiring to see some of the things that they have done. And I feel like, especially during COVID and like, um, we had alluded to before, there's a lot of isolation. A lot of us don't get to spend time together. Um, but we want the students to know like, Hey, we are here, we are successful and we can help you. Um, and so I think that's pretty much the biggest mission is to kind of, form a community that supports each other, especially through this time, but just people that you know that you can look up to that's gone through it before that can, you don't have to, you know, reinvent the wheel. Um, you can use some of the information that they give you. Um, when I was in fifth semester, um, UMHS brought on some students from other schools to, to go in the semesters ahead of us. And one of them's name was Ryan. And I was so thankful to have somebody that was a couple semesters ahead of me so I knew what to expect that could give me like a heads up. What's the best way that I can get into these residencies? What should I be doing in this rotation? How can I stand out? And that's the kind of stuff that we want to help our students with is like, okay, how do we make ourselves look good? What's the best things that I can be doing right now to get a residency spot? Like what matters the most and how did you become so successful? That was the other thing too. Um, I met one of our students named Andrea at the DC and she is at Johns Hopkins and she's doing all these amazing things. And I'm like, how do I not know about you? Like, you're amazing. Like they should put posters all over at UMHS about like Andrea, Johns Hopkins, you know? And I'm like, and then I realized there's so many stories like that. And I was so impressed and just, I felt so proud to be from our school. And I said, everybody needs to know this. Like when you're a student, you need all the encouragement you can possibly handle. And that's what we're going to do is we're going to say, hey, look, guys, yes, it's hard. You're going through all this craziness, but here's the awesome light at the end of the tunnel. And you can talk to us and communicate with us and we will help you be just as successful, if not more, as we are. And that's the hope for it. So I'm super excited if you can't tell, um, because I really do think that UMHS has a lot to be proud of. But unfortunately, a lot of people just don't know yet. So we're going to bridge that gap. <laughs> 100%. You're so right in terms of when you hear from other people how encouraging that can be. And I feel like in medical school in the first two years, you're so you're so persistent with trying to pass step one and getting over that hurdle. But then there's that second hurdle, clinicals, residency. Residency is a huge step. And we're so focused on step one, we forget there's like that bridge, that gap, like of unknown uncertainty, like how what's the next step, what resources are important, like no more first aid, <laughs> what's next? <laughs> so it, that'll definitely be a huge resource. And it's exciting, especially right now when so many students with COVID are doing online clinical, not clinical, sorry, online um, semesters for your EBS or Med 1. They don't really know other classmates, so that'll be hugely beneficial for sure. So, too. <laughs> so another question for you, this might be a little personal, but you mentioned so much that you do, medical director, teaching, attending, senior patients. How do you balance a family life or just a personal life with all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been a learning experience. Um, I was so used to devoting so much time and energy to medicine when I got done with residency that I did not know how to balance because I ended residency as a chief resident um, doing moonlighting jobs. Um, I was married and had two kids. I had two kids in residency, one my intern year and one my chief year. And everything was just so chaotic, but that's what I was used to. So when I first became an attending, I signed up for all the things because I thought that's what we were supposed to do. 
But then I lost myself in that. And I remember very distinctly a few years ago, looking at like my CV and being like, this is super impressive. So why do I feel so bad? (laughs) And I was like, I've got to figure this out. So um, I hired a life coach and just to try to figure out like, what do I want? Um, And one of the things that I really value is um, the concept that time isn't what equals money, trying to pull away from that so that you can make money without um, sacrificing your time. And so a lot of the things that I do, I have learned how to do less but make more, which is very, very valuable to me. Um, When I first started this six years ago, I was probably still working over 80 hours a week. And, um, you know, just I felt like I was barely getting by because I had all those student loans and stuff. But I did put all of that towards my student loans. I had like half a million dollars in student loan debt. And in less than three years, I paid it all off. And then it was like, oh my gosh, I'm free. Now what do I do? So now my goal is not to work harder, it's to work smarter. And that's why I started these other businesses because um, I didn't want to throw too much of myself into work. And so what I've been working on now with my main career is um, to do what's required to take good care of my patients, but I work 36 hours a week. I am on call, but it's very rare that I get a call. And so the rest of that time, yes, I do own a med spa, but um, I'm only there a few hours a week and there are other people that work with me and for me, um, which is fabulous. Um, I do a life coaching business and I do that for fun. Um, (laughs) I do get paid, but I do it for fun. And so um, I eventually learned that one of the most important things for me before COVID was to take me time, Um, not just on like once a year kind of scale, but like once a week. Um, I would take off all day Friday and do what I wanted to do. My kids were in school, so I would go get a massage and I would read and I would find time for myself. Um, And I used to think that like selfish was a bad word and then I like loved it. (laughs) It was a very hard transition though, I'm not gonna lie. Um, But then I also learned that I needed vacation. So I made it my goal that um, every month I took a vacation and every three months I left the country. Um, So obviously COVID has changed that pretty drastically, but that transition from kind of feeling like I sacrificed my all for residency and for being a student and I felt like kind of owned and I didn't know what it meant to ask myself what I wanted. In the last six years, I've, I've made a significant shift over to I can't be my best version of myself for my patients and my family unless I'm taking care of myself first. And that being selfish is the best thing that I can offer everybody in my world. So it really is um, a personal journey to finding that balance, but it's certainly doable. Um, It's just, it's taken a lot of work, but I'm happy with where I'm at now. (laughs) But I love that you took the time to put in that work or else what happens burnout right so it's so impressive and also a lot of people have that stigma oh like I just have to work for my patients I just have to give 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 but it's important to take time for yourself to like you can't be the as you said the best version of yourself if you're not taking care of yourself so I love that also back to having children in residency how did you feel about that there's always that question especially being a female like when can you have kids is it possible to have it during residency do you wait after residency and then you have that reminder biological clock this that so what's your opinion on that and how what was your experience with having children in residency and I completely agree with you it's that is probably one of the most difficult things that I have gone through aside from step one (laughs) um I had my first child my first year of residency and 
I wish that I could say that everything went really well with my residency. I wish I could tell you that coming from a family medicine residency that they supported it and that it wasn't difficult, but honestly, that's not true. Um, there was a lot of pushback, um, a lot of, I, we were in a program that was um, four, 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 which means four first years, four second years, four third years, which meant it was a very tight ship. It was a rural program, a 77 bed hospital. We were in charge of the hospital, in charge of OB, in charge of the ER. So it was very tight. So having one person leave that rotation meant a lot of sacrifice for a lot of people, a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback from my attendings. And it was very difficult in retrospect. And I know there are a lot of advocates right now that are trying to help some of that in residency to be a little bit more resident friendly. And so I'm hoping that, you know, it's been a few years. I'm hoping that that process has gotten a little bit better. I think at the end of the day, you just have to ask yourself what you want. And for me, um, I my priority was to have a family. Um, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that having that would like it was a choice between the two, which thankfully it wasn't. Thankfully, I didn't, you know, get fired or anything like that. Um, but golly, it was tough. And then after I had my first child, I went back to work less than two weeks after having my first child. And I was a nutcase. And there's no reason anybody should ever do that. But in our system right now, I was the sole provider for my family and I didn't have, you know, paid leave or anything like that. And so it really wasn't an option, but also I learned it wasn't safe um, for my patients and um, it, it wasn't great for my kiddo either. Um, I'm very, very, very thankful that at the time my um, husband had stepped up and was like, okay, here's the deal. Um, I guess you can't breastfeed. You're just going to have to like actually sleep um, when the time is there. And I kind of put the mom stuff to the side a little bit to get back into my work. Do I regret that? Yes. Um, I didn't feel like I had an option at the time. Fast forward to my chief year when I had a second chance to do it at a different program. And it was a very different experience. Um, I was a little bit more prepared for what could come up. And I went ahead and did some moonlighting before I had my child so I could afford some time off. And also my program there had this opportunity where you can do a month elective. And um, as long as you do some research and things like that, um, you could you know, not actually be in the hospital. So I was much more prepared. I think I was a little naive on my first go at it, not thinking that any, there would be any adversity or, you know, um, so it was a very different experience my second time. And I think it's a learning curve. And I know that there are going to be people that are going to face adversity with this. Um, and I'm sorry, I wish it wasn't like that. And I hope that people continue to change that in residency. Um, it's not fair. It's not right. Um, but you still, at the end of the day, have to look back on your life and feel proud of the decisions that you made. Um, and I would hate for somebody to not have the opportunity to be a parent because they're afraid of retaliation from a program. Um, but it does happen, unfortunately. So you just, for me, it was like, okay, live and learn. And the second time, do it better. <laughs> but golly, it was tough. <laughs> Very tough. Well, look at this. We ask you to come here for alumni association questions, and now we're getting free life advice. So <laughs> we're putting your life coach skills to use. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. So thank you for um, sharing all of that. Uh, we did put your bio out to some of our peers and our friends. 
uh, and to ask them if they had any questions for you. And one thing which we got a couple times was people really wanted to know what is a med spa and uh, what, it, what it is to start one and how you started that during COVID. Yeah, I think that's a great question too. And that's a fun one. I'm excited to answer. So when I first became an attending six years ago in Oklahoma, um, I was so used to being like the, like, I'm sure you guys have probably seen the pictures the first day of residency where everybody like is bright eyed and bushy tailed. And then after your first year, if you took another picture, you've gained 15 pounds and you've got bags under your eyes and you look like crap, right? That was totally me. After, you know, three years of residency, I wore scrubs and cowgirl boots every day, my hair in a ponytail. Like I didn't know what makeup was. Like it was just totally, you know, not who I am today. And I remember working with um, someone who's now my best friend, Mandy, and my partner in my med spa. And she's 10 years older than me, but she looks 10 years younger than me. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Like, and she's like Botox. And I was like, oh geez. And at the time I had this impression like, oh, if you go into that stuff, it's so shallow. And, but then again, I had my like 20 something year old face. So I didn't need to care about those things really. <laughs> um, but then I started to see um, how much of an impact um, things like Botox and fillers really did help people um, with their self-esteem um, and really kind of just took a different look at it. And I started getting Botox um, back then. Um, and then I got under eye filler because I always looked tired, perpetually tired. So much so that people were always going, are you, did you sleep last night? Which it's like, oh my gosh, for the love, stop asking me that. <laughs> so um, it really made a difference in my self-esteem. And my friend Mandy used to own a med spa. And so she taught me a lot over the last few years about skincare and mostly Botox and fillers. Um, and then a couple of years ago, um, we were doing Botox and fillers on the side for like our friends and stuff like that. And we just had this idea that why don't we just start a business? This is so much fun. We love doing this. It's like just, you know, you can get kind of, I don't want to say like kind of stuck in a rut sometimes with the, doing the same thing at work, um, but kind of spicing it up and doing something that you really enjoy. Um, so this last year, actually in January, right before the pandemic hit is when we first formed our company. And at the time we were just renting space from um, a local med spa, um, which is a great way to start. So you don't have the overhead. Um, and we could use their office. We were buying product from them at cost and just getting things going just to kind of start getting patients and that kind of thing, clients. And then we partnered up with a lot of local um, hair salons and those girls would bring in all their friends for Botox parties. And from the Botox party, those people will come in and have other services done. So it just started this ball rolling. Um, currently, we opened up an actual location in September and we do have the Botox and filler um, but we also have lots of other services we've been doing a lot of IV um, hydration and um, glutathione stuff like that for people who are struggling with COVID symptoms um, and we have to be very specific that it's not a treatment for COVID um, we're not claiming that whatever um, but it's just been so fun and we add in you know skincare and different um, treatments 
um, facial peels and stuff like that. And it's just, it's awesome to have a time and space um, with my best friend in a location that I get to say like when I'm there, how I'm there. Cause ultimately I think all of us kind of want that to some extent, you know, I've never really loved the thought of being an entrepreneur just because to me it just meant work. <laughs> Don't sign me up for that. But once you actually kind of open the door and do it the way you want it to be done, it's so nice to be able to do things on, on your own time, on your own means, like when and how you want to do it. Um, and it's just kind of naturally evolved into this really awesome thing um, that I love doing because every time somebody comes in, I, their self-esteem is better when they leave. And in family medicine, unfortunately, we don't always get that like short-term gain. Um, you know, we're treating diabetes and hypertension. People don't leave going, oh, thanks, you know, like not very often. So it's really great to be able to have something where um, you feel instant gratification, right? It's, it's awesome. Not to mention you get paid well. That's a really important part too. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a little challenging during COVID, but honestly, I, I believe that the universe conspires for us. And so I've seen a lot of um, blessing in COVID in that um, it kind of did allow us to have a slow start, um, which I think if I would have dove into it too quickly, um, I would have been over my head. So the fact that um, there was this natural slow pace of clients moving in as I did my other things in life, I love that, you know? Um, it's just, I feel like it's worked out exactly how it was meant to. First off, that sounds so fun. And I can see how much joy it brings you just in your excitement talking about it. You be excited. Yeah. Second of all, also just thinking about like in terms of family and family medicine, it's really cool because this way you also get that interventional medicine as well like the more procedural aspect because I know some that's something some people think about like with family medicine versus other specialties they want a little bit more of that procedural aspect but this kind of gives you a way to get that procedural aspect of it too which I think is really cool yeah and I mean um I think I shied away from a lot of procedures in my training, I think mostly just because I was nervous. But then once I got out, like even into residency, I kind of regretted that. I wish that I would have taken the time to make the mistakes when it was like more okay to make mistakes in training. Um, and so then what I did is I just kind of hit the ground running and groups like AAFP, the American Academy of Family Practice, they have conferences every year where you can sign up to do procedural classes. And so every conference I went to, I was signing up for the procedure workshops and I got really good at all the different procedures that we do in family medicine. And like I said, I graduated from Southwest Florida. So um, skin procedures were like our bread and butter. Everybody in Southwest Florida has skin cancer. So um, we got really good at that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can make family medicine anything you want. Like that's the great thing about it. It's all the things it's um, from birth to death, everything in between. So if you want to do a bunch of procedures, go for it, you know? So yeah, it's, it's fun just to kind of mix things up a little bit. And I like that about family medicine that you never know what's going to be behind the door. Like it could just be anything. And I like that because I, I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. No offense to anybody who does. Love you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all of these tips with us. Uh, would it be possible for you to just leave off some, leave us off with some tips on how to stay uh, abreast of the developments of the Alumni Association uh, and any other advice that you have for our audience? Absolutely. Um, I think that the best way to really find out information about Alumni Association is going to be through our Facebook page, which you could find just through the main UMHS page on Facebook. Um, I think that's going to be the best way to find the information moving forward. 
Um, we plan on rolling out a lot of really cool things in the future. So um, I would definitely join that page. Um, and I would say for advice for med students right now is that, are you going through some very tough times? Yes, um, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it, guys. Like in the grand scheme of things, it's just a few years of your life that might suck, but you can still take time here and there to enjoy it. Um, I wish I would have enjoyed living in St. Kitts a little bit more than I did. <laughs> I took a little bit more time to enjoy Puerto Rico, but um, try to find some time to enjoy it. But just remember that if it is really hard for you, you're not alone um, and just trust the process. You're going to get through it. But there is a very, very bright light at the end of that tunnel, no matter what is going on in society, no matter what you think, no matter what politics are involving medicine right now none of that matters you're going to be a physician at the end of this which is a huge privilege you will literally have one of the the best titles on the planet so don't lose sight of that i know it can be really difficult especially when you're studying for things like step one which is the worst thing on the planet but once you get through it holy moly you never have to remember biochem again <laughs> so give yourself some grace to enjoy the time as much as you can study hard and know it will end at some point <laughs> Awesome. That is exceptional advice. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with us. And we'll be sure to leave your information and contact uh, information in the description. And uh, thanks everyone for joining in on another Dexter Cardia episode. Be sure to uh, like and rate us on Apple Podcasts and we'll be out with another episode in the next two weeks. Thanks everyone. Thank you.